Welcome to the Dome Dog Podcast. I'm your host, Matt DeBritz. Last season, Syracuse struggled, not making the NCAA tournament, losing record, guys got hurt, lost a lot of close games, just wasn't their year. But next season, Syracuse has six incoming freshmen. At this point, you've heard my opinion on recruiting, on Benny Williams, on Coach Beheim several times. So I need a little help. This week, my guest is 247 Sports Director of Scouting, CBS HQ College Basketball Insider, Adam Finkelstein. What's going on, Adam? Not much. Thanks for having me. So, Adam, can you break down what it's like for coaches right now in this era of NIL, transfer portal, um, guys leaving all the time? What's it like for coaches right now? Yeah, I, I think we're in the midst of a uh, major shift, not just in the college basketball landscape, but really in, in high school and grassroots basketball, too, because there's a number of variables uh, that are all evolving at a rapid rate that, that you just touched on there. Uh, the transfer portal, obviously, name, image and likeness, but also the professional opportunities with the G League, with Overtime Elite, with the changing nature of, of uh overtime elite specifically and now how they're taking high school kids and hoping that they'll be eligible for for college um and, and so all these things kind of happening at the same time really makes it an, an unpredictable landscape that that is vastly different than it was just a few years ago but i think also vastly different than it's probably likely to be a few years from now what do you think is going to change a few years from now well, I think we're just going to have much more clarity. We're going to have much more clarity on what uh, name, image, and likeness looks like. I don't think you're going to have so many discrepancies in terms of state-by-state, uh, state, in terms of just not knowing really what the rules are. Um, if you look at it right now, there's, there's certainly, um, you know, there's a geography aspect to where the NIL dollars are and, and consequently where kids are going. Um, a lot of that is tied to the fact that, that states have uh, some autonomy in how this is, how this works. And so I think that all of that is, is bound to change um, as, as we continue to move forward. And, and the landscape's just, the landscape shows no signs of, of really shifting. So I think that, you know, what's going to change? I don't know exactly, but I, I don't feel like we're at the, the final resting point either. You said regionally. So how can... How can people in Syracuse sell that region? I think it has to do with with state rules and, and regulations regarding NIL. And, and again, it doesn't you know, it, it, you don't have to you don't have to uh, dive very deep to to see that, you know, there's the, where these NIL dollars and offers are coming on the map. You know, you haven't seen a lot of kids going to the northeast. You haven't seen a lot of kids going to the west coast. A lot of them are going to the south, southeast. I mean, and that is right now where where it seems like the NIL dollars are clustered. And again, I think a lot of that is tied to the fact that not everybody is playing by the same set of rules, not every university, not every college, not every state. There's, there is um, under the letter of the law, whatever that is right now, there is uh, the freedom for those things to change state by state, university by university. I talked about coaches before, you know, a lot of the coaches have moved on or retired that are older. Jim Beheim, an older coach, how does he navigate a NIL transfer portal G League era? Well, um, you know, that would be, I, again, I, I think it's it's a year by year thing. You know, I thought Syracuse did a pretty good job with, with the 
within what I perceive to be the intent of the rule last year of, of showing their current roster uh, was able to profit off their name, image, and likeness, but it wasn't a tactic that was specific to their school in recruiting. Again, I think that's how the rules were intended, uh, but there is obvi obviously, whether it was deliberate or not, some, some clear ambiguity, not just in the rules, uh, in the way the rules were initially written, um, but in the, the new clarification or whatever they're calling it that the NCA recently came, came down with, it just didn't really provide much clarification. Yeah, uh, I liked kind of how Syracuse used um, Buddy Beheim for three wishes. Um, I had Ian Wishengrad, the guy who's come up with that. He was on the podcast earlier. He talked about how that went down. And I've seen the other guys that are on Cameo, just giving you like a little message here and there. So that's what I would think too when I, when I see yeah. – you know, NIL, NIL, not, not like, he's, as you said, like massive deals or an agent in deals, but as you said, it's kind of like the wild, wild west. It's just, no one's got real authority. It just changes a lot. So we got that going for us, but you know, I, I mentioned um, before we started, you know, Benny Williams and Benny Williams um, was this five-star recruit coming out of, uh, out of high school. He didn't play that much for Syracuse last year. A lot of fans thought he should be playing a lot. What did you see from Benny Williams coming into Syracuse that could maybe something that fans didn't see in Sy Syracuse in his first season? Like he just struggled a lot. Well, I, I saw I saw a ton of obvious talent, but but still the need to continue to develop and turn potential into production. Um, I, I think that almost for all freshmen, it becomes situational in terms of who else is ahead of you on the depth chart. Uh, what what the, the roster around you requires. And I just think that with the team that Syracuse had last year, bringing in a guy like Cole Swider, who, you know, plays a very, you know, similar position, uh, I, I think that one year could potentially do Benny a whole lot of good. I'm, I'm reminded of a guy that I saw a lot in high school previously who didn't play much as a freshman and then had a huge sophomore season. And I, I'm certainly not putting the bar quite this high. But I think, you know, a story of Michael Carter Williams and how he made that jump from the freshman to sophomore year is something that I'm sure uh, Benny Williams is being told about now. Again, I'm, I'm not suggesting that he's going to have a sophomore season on par with what MCW did. But I think it does go to show that when you have a highly talented freshman, sometimes a year of learning under the, the older guys, learning the intricacies of the, of the system, building up your body allows you to make a big splash as a sophomore. And I, I think certainly there's going to be a significant opportunity for him to do that next season. Yeah. Jim Beheim said that he's going to shock the world. Jim Beheim says a lot of quotes like that sometimes. And when people call him on it, they, they, they he says, I say a lot of different things. Like, well, that's what the media does, right? That's what people do. They take your quotes and then use something with it. You, you mentioned Michael Carter Williams, um, you know, looking back in Syracuse final four runs, they, always had a McDonald's All-American. Um, and the last one they had was Malachi Richardson in 2015, 2016 mm -hmm. Syracuse went to the final four. How can Syracuse get back into the McDonald's All-American recruiting game? Do they have a shot in this new era? Are people considering them anymore? Well, I, I, again, I, I, I think it's really hard to, you know, recruiting was just so much different when Malachi Richardson was coming in. I mean, Again, you go on Twitter right now, and the way recruits are deciding is is based on um, a lot on NIL. And so I, I think that 
you know, there needs to be um, some transparency about that and then need to figure out, you know, if, if that that piece needs to be in place to to compete for the highest level of recruits in this day and age, as it currently stands, I should say. Um, without that piece in place, you need almost a perfect storm of other circumstances, whether it's opportunity, uh, personal, you know, relationships, um, whatever the case may be. But it's in, in nine times out of 10, the, NL, the NIL uh, variable has to be in place in order to have a chance to get the highest profile recruits, whether those are out of the high school ranks or the transfer uh, portal. It just, it seems like, you know, if you were going to be a basketball coach, that's not really where you were getting in for, right? I know in your background, you were a basketball coach, right? Yeah. So, I mean, would you well, ever think I, of that? I mean, no, of course not. However, um, being a successful basketball coach, um, I, I view it as running a program. And anyone who has ever run a program at the highest level is – is more than a basketball coach is more than figuring out ways to motivate your players is more than, you know, coming up with successful offensive and defensive schemes. You're essentially running an organization where you have to make sure that all aspects of the organization are operating at a peak level from the way your organization is, is marketed to the way in which your athletes train uh, to the, to, you know, the whole, to the way in which you approach roster construction. And this is just the next iteration of roster construction because, you know, the point has been made is let's not pretend that, that, you know, that there weren't other considerations in recruiting before NIL. And um, of course that, that was the case. Um, I think what this does is potentially give schools, uh, you know, an opportunity to, to level the playing field in a way in which is uh, you know, potentially within within the letter of the law or at least the the ambiguity with which the law is currently um interpreted but how can some of those lower tier acc schools compete well you know i, I mean i would say this um has virginia tech competed with with you know in recruiting against duke and caroline in the past i, I so i don't i don't think that the i don't know that that the variables have changed but but i mean virginia tech regardless of who was there wasn't typically out recruiting duke in north carolina and places like that before so you have to figure out another way and the reality is some jobs are better than others and yeah. um anybody who says otherwise just isn't being forthright or they just don't know so um, it, it's just it's just the reality of it that some jobs are better than others. There's more resources in some places than there are others. Um, and so how can they compete? They've got I mean, the way that Virginia Tech in particular competes is they've got one heck of a basketball coach. He recruits to his system. You find ways to establish longevity and you try and historically you've tried to get old. That has been the, the model. Now, the portal makes that harder because kids can opt out, go into the portal and basically re-engage with their recruitment at any given point. But to this, this point in time, I think, um, I think that has been the plan. I think that will kind of continue to be the plan again. And, you know, something interesting too, is that there, there's not necessarily the correlation. If you look at the last five or six NCAA um, tournament champions, you know, the Villanova teams, Baylor, um, Virginia, yep. um, you know, the common denominator, the only common denominator in, in that that's glaring to me is the fact that they were all had a certain level of um, experience. 
there it wasn't teams based in one and one and dones. It wasn't teams that win the you know Duke and Kentucky haven't won a national championship since I think fifteen or sixteen. So yeah. and they're always at the top of the recruiting ranking. So right. those two thing those two things aren't necessarily synonymous. Um, so you know I think that it's about finding finding the strategic fit of understanding your style of play and recruiting to that and continuing to to iterate and evolve uh, with the times. So you mentioned style of play there. Obviously, anyone who knows Syracuse basketball knows the style of play is zone defense. Again, Beheim said this one time. I'm not sure if it's actually true. He said, we might play man-to-man next year. We got faster guys. The guys coming in next year, do any of them fit a zone-type model? Because that is yeah. important. You know, the, the zone is important for Syracuse to su- succeed. <laughs> if they don't have yeah. guys that can play in the zone, they're done. Yeah, I, I think so. Traditionally speaking, traditionally speaking, the zone has been in its best when you have a rim protector in the middle, when you've got bigger guards who can who can play out there, and when you've got length and athleticism on the on the wing. I think uh, this class certainly has a lot of perimeter size. Um, and in a lot of ways, I think that the guys coming in are a better fit for Syracuse's defensive system than the roster that was there last season, which obviously had a ton of perimeter shooting, but didn't have the same uh, length and athleticism that we've historically seen. I think you can make the argument that last year's team would have been a better um, man-to-man team, but more from like a, a containment, more like a Virginia style, like a pack style of man-to-man. Um, you know, I, I do think there's an upgrade in, in size, especially on the perimeter coming in uh, with length and athleticism. I do think those things should, should translate themselves, should translate well. I think the, the question, quite frankly, is, um, you know, is the incoming class going to be quite as good offensively? And I'm not talking about the collective metrics. I'm just talking about when the, the, the shooting that, that Syracuse had last year or at least the, the gravity that, that, you know, when you talk about Swider, the Bayheims, um, and, uh, and who might, Oh, what's his name? Joey Gerard. Yeah. Thank you. Um, those guys on the, on the perimeter, um, you know, the, the gravity they had for opposing defenses was going to open the floor to a really significant extent. And, um, you know, I'm not sure that's going to be quite the same. So I do think there'll be a better fit from a, from a defensive standpoint, um, for the system, I think offensively it's going to be a little bit a little bit different than than what was in place this season. Yeah, so you know, Judah Mintz, obviously the the cream of the crop in that that class coming in. What do you see from him specifically that could help Syracuse? Yeah, I, I think he is a he's a true two way player. He is. Um, you know, a lot of high profile prospects, which he has been for a long time, don't take as much pride on the defensive end of the floor. That is not the case with Judah Mintz. Offensively, I've always thought he had a, a herky jerky, high volume kind of scoring game. But this past season at Oak Hill, he got a lot more efficient. If you look at his numbers in NIBC play, uh, they they were really impressive. And the NIBC is the premier high school league in the country now with with Oak Hill, Montverde, IMG, Sunrise, La Lamere. Um, and, and three others there, but just really the best of the best uh, playing against each other year round. So I, I think that, you know, Syracuse had a class that was that had plenty of depth in the early signing period. But now they've got a guy who's capable of coming in and really making an impact uh, from day one. And he's also a guy who should be able to hold his own, at least relative to other freshmen 
uh, right away too. Cause that's usually the trade-off a guy who's got the talent to come in and help you offensively still has to make an adjustment defensively, but that adjustment is going to be far less for Judah Mintz on the defensive end of the floor. And offensively, he's already had to learn how to incorporate his individual abilities within the context of, of playing with other high level players this year at, at Oak Hill with guys like Chris Livingston, who's going to uh, Kentucky. So I think, I think Judah Mintz is going to be an important addition for this club. Um, and, uh, and he's got a chance to, to make an immediate impact. That's good news. I'm sure a Syracuse fan would like to hear that. What about the rest of the class though? I mean, it's kind of a, I wouldn't say a mismatch, but it's like Brown. I saw play because he actually played against my nephew in Virginia state championship. He seems like a guy who can run the floor and kind of get buckets off of offensive rebounds, steals, but yep. my nephew said that was his direct quote is I don't I don't see him facing people up and scoring like that. So what about Brown? Is he more a role player or is he a guy that could you know make bigger impact than I'm thinking? Um, no, I think that I think that eval is 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 pretty pretty fair right now. I think you could put Peter Carey into that as kind of a an athletic big who's going to be a, a vertical spacer. I mean Carey's going to be more of a project, um, but again. When you're talking about increasing the length, athleticism, I think that's that's a little bit of a misconception. Is not everybody's got to be a playmaker. Not everybody's got to be an advantage creator. Um, and Brown and Carey in particular, those guys are going to be play finishers. So you know, can you go? Can you be a lob catcher? Can you be a, a guy who uh, plays off the dunker spot? Can you can you face up to take one or two hard dribbles? I think those are going to be the areas where they can make the most immediate impact. Is kind of you know, Carey's more of a, a developing five. Brown could be more of a, a hybrid four type type guy. What about Copeland? He seems like he could be a good fit for the zone. Yeah, I think he he potentially could be because he has that, that perimeter size. Um, he Quadir has got a tremendous floor vision and playmaking ability. You know, he's about six five, six six. He he plays uh, he can play anywhere from the one to the three. He can really pass the ball. He values passing the ball. Um, I think he's got to be take better care of the basketball. He's got to be more more reliable on a day to day basis with that. I like him as more of a secondary playmaker. Uh, whether he, whether he can play out of the high post or a pick and roll on the second side of the floor, um, that to me is is his best spot right now before he comes completely reliable in terms of. Uh, being able to to be accountable for the quality of the overall possession, which is what you what you want from a point guard. Um, so that's why I, I don't consider him to be a college ready big point guard at this point. But I do think he has that kind of potential. Uh, but he is a playmaker, a guy who likes who values making plays for other people. So it's almost like they have three to four. Either combo guards or point guards, I mean, and, you know, if, we're talking about, you said Joe Girard. Girard's not really a point guard as far as I'm concerned. He's a shooting guard. And he showed that when they played Duke, you know, better off the ball. And Simon Torrance, you know, kind of got his shot at the end of the year and he played really well. Then you got these couple other guys that are coming in that you're talking about maybe playmakers or guards. How can they fit in with the two guys that are there? Because that's, as you said, that's a lot of minutes, you know, being accounted for. Well, I, I think, I mean, you're talking about three different positions, though, because, um, you know, one through three is so often interchangeable. And, and it's very rare in this day and age, you see somebody say like, OK, you're a two guard and or OK, you're a point guard. Um, so I think that that having some type of a veteran experience like Gerard next to you 
like from that standpoint, um, Copeland and Gerard actually should fit together nicely because Copeland's got the size that Gerard doesn't. Copeland mm-hmm. is uh, makes plays for other people when Gerard is, as you said, primarily a shooter. So I think they do have complementing skill sets. I'm just not sure how much Copeland Copeland still got to develop. I think that's the thing that that this class has is it's got good long term prospects. It should add to the program's continuity if they can get these guys to stay here for multiple years and continue to improve. But I think with the exception of Judah Mintz, the the biggest contributors next year are going to be the ones who are returning and able to step into a bigger role. So, you know, Benny coming back, you got, as I mentioned, Gerard and Torrance Edwards is going to be back in the middle. But some people still think that Syracuse is kind of like a bubble team again. I, I like to think that with the addition of the six guys and the guys they have coming back, it's a nice mix, which I don't think Syracuse really had for a while. What do you think about the mix that they're going to have next year? I think if history has shown us anything, it's that, that you know you don't want to underestimate Syracuse. The zone can be a great equalizer, especially when you have, have length and athleticism like they had. I do expect Benny Williams to take a step forward. I do think uh, Judah Mintz will be able to come in and make an immediate contribution. Obviously, they're going to have an elite level shot maker in Gerard. So you're going to have enough perimeter shooting to continue to stretch the floor. You're going to have some pieces that that are better fits defensively. And so even if people aren't talking about Syracuse preseason the way they might have five years ago, I think this is still going to be a very dangerous team. Ah, people would like to hear that. Um, it's uh, the, the shift is kind of the shift has kind of been evident, you know, where people were used to Syracuse coming out of the gate and being a high-ranked team. And then pretty much since they've been in the ACC, they've kind of gotten better as the season, sneaking into the tournament. Then there are hard, as you said, a hard out because of the zone defense. I, I, In my opinion, I, I'd rather them do better in the NCAA tournament than be great preseason because I've seen great Syracuse teams flame out in the NCAA tournament. But the Syracuse fan base – that's why they're 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 mad all the time because since being in the ACC, they haven't really, I mean, they haven't got over the hump kind of so to speak as far as the regular season. Duke and North Carolina have been pounding them a lot lately. Is there do you see a time that Syracuse kind of gets into North Carolina and Duke's level at any point in the ACC? Or are they always going to be chasing them? You know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Duke here uh, in in John Shire's first couple of years with the program. Um, but I, I will say this relative to passionate fan bases, um, you know, it's easy to, to talk. And I've, I've certainly been guilty of this myself to, to want fan bases to be uh, more realistic or, or more appreciative of what they have. But the reality is it's, it's because they're so enthusiastic that the market of college basketball and the opportunity for these players and these coaches is what it is. If we didn't have that fan that demand and that that enthusiasm for the game, um, you and I wouldn't be talking right now. These guys wouldn't be on national TV. So, um, you know, I, I think it's uh, it's having having some unrealistic fans is is better than having apathetic fans. I'll say that. And people are just crazy about their hoops, which, like you said, I'm glad they are. So we could talk about it. Like another popular thing people throw on the message boards, like, oh, Syracuse should be back in the Big East. How is it different for Syracuse from the Big East to ACC? Do kids even care about that stuff anymore? Like coming in, do they even look at those tapes? Do they have any idea? No. In fact, um, you know, I was I was talking to a uh, I was talking to a, a 
grassroots program on Friday night. I was down in Baltimore. I was visiting with uh, Team Mello, actually, Carmelo Anthony's program. And we were talking about, about players. And I, I was citing uh, guys from the past and doing like a quick poll of the kids. And I said, all right, how many of you guys have ever heard of Raleigh Alkins? Nobody in the circle. And we're talking about like some, and, and so, no, I, I don't, I, I think that, you know, these are 17, 18 year old kids and, and they're, you know, unless they're, they're really, uh, unless they grew up studying the game, I think in most cases, their frame of reference is just the last couple of years. So I think those, those old big East days, while they're still very relevant to fans like, like you and me, that for the current generation of recruits, it's, it's not, it's not a factor. I think playing in the ACC though, I think that is a factor. That whole thing is, it's, it's been gone now for a long time. So I always, when people are mentioning that, I'm like, we're, well, we're past that guys. You know, we're, we've been in the ACC now for a while. Don't always like playing maybe NC state over Villanova, even though Syracuse plays them in non-conference, but it's just not the same thing, but you got to, you know, the first year Syracuse played Duke, that was one of the you know biggest games of the year. If you remember that, I mean, Syracuse yeah. was undefeated. And the second time Syracuse played them, they probably should have won the game, but CJ fair got called for a charge. So, I think when they're playing Duke and North Carolina and Virginia, I think those games are huge. It's just that those three teams have dominated Syracuse so much that people are, are sick of them being dominated, but it's like, well, that's just how it goes. I think, you know, it's how it is. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the price of playing the best. It gets a lot, you know, the competition's a, a lot steeper. And I, I think the, I mean, listen, the, the, the big East has done a, a great job of kind of rebranding itself and then bringing UConn back into the fold. Um, but there's no doubt that when conference uh, realignment initially went down, ACC, the ACC was was the most desirable conference on the East Coast. And so I think that that Syracuse it wasn't alone. Um, you know, pretty much everybody who had the opportunity to make that jump did make that jump. So, um, you know, to look back and say, I wish we didn't do it. Well, nobody was saying nobody was saying no to the ACC. That just wasn't that just wasn't how it went. Right. Well, fans sometimes forget. It's a business, <laughs> right? Got to pay um, the bills. Yeah. So you mentioned Team Mello. Do you think Syracuse can ever get a caliber player like Carmelo Anthony again? Well, I, I'm going to go back to what I said before, which is in this in this era, um, your NIL package has to be uh, comparable with the other ones that are among the best in the country. And, um, uh, and, and if not, it has to be a perfect storm of other factors, whether it's opportunities, relationships, whatever the case may be, in order to get that done. So are they capable of it? Sure. Um, but, you know, would the other question is, um, if NIL were here, would Carmelo Anthony have played at Syracuse? And none of us know the answer to that. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it, it's a relevant question. Uh, speaking of that, I was, I was doing a St. John's game or something. So I was following their Twitter and there's this one guy that he's a big St. John's fan, but he said that St. John should have gotten Carmelo Anthony because <laughs> Lenny Cook was supposed to go there and Lenny Cook didn't go. That's why Carmelo. Went well, to I'm Syracuse. a UConn alum, so I think UConn should have got Carmelo Anthony. How about that? There you go. <laughs> well, I mean, he's saying because Lenny Cook decided. No, to go I pro. understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, I, I, I remember Lawrence Moten lighting us up back uh, way before Carmelo Anthony. Well, that's just an example of a Syracuse player. I mean, Lawrence Moten is a guy that really wasn't highly recruited out of high school, but he fit the system and made his way. And that's what I always kind of say when I'm talking about Syracuse guys coming in. They can have high 
you know, high stars or be ranked high, but if they're not fitting the system that Bayheim has, it does not matter. You know, it just matters what they do. But yeah, fitting the system and also continuing to develop because there's plenty of high high ranked guys who who got those those stars, those ratings or rankings or whatever based on what they had previously done and not about what they're they're going to do in the future. I mean, you can turn on the NBA playoffs right now and it's full of guys who did not oh, yeah. have big reputations in high school. I mean, there's some that did, you know, you've got, you've got obviously LeBron James is the most obvious example, uh, DeAndre Ayton and others, but then you've got Steph Curry and, and uh, you know, so Kawhi Leonard's not in it right now, but all those guys who were uh, CJ McCollum, Dame Lillard. I mean, there's, yeah. there's, players players pop at different points in their careers and so we can try and streamline it as much as we want but you, you're going to have the the Kyrie Irvings LeBron James Kevin Loves who we who we knew when they were you know early on in their high school year you're going to mm -hmm. have guys like like Anthony Davis who who just popped towards the end of their high school career and then you're going to have guys like Steph Curry and Kawhi Leonard who who come on long after their high school career that that's the fun of it because there is no you know any any finish line is arbitrary you know right. i mean it's, it's not done till till you're done playing and we can say in retrospect who the best was and and even then obviously it is uh it is a debate but even take a step further guys like grant williams who you know is an undersized forward he's playing pretty well for boston uh pritchard guy from uh from oregon you know sure. i don't know if you would thought he'd been a a good pro do you think he would have a job as a pro or alvarado no, from he, sir, he didn't fit the prototype that's for sure i mean grant williams he, he almost went to yale i mean i think it was uh yale and tennessee i remember sitting there watching him at the peach jam with with james jones the head coach at yale he thought he was going to get him so um yeah i mean again those things guys just evolve at different stages and that's the amount of kids the amount of 16 17 year old kids who are led to believe they're certain pros is uh, one of the worst parts about the the grassroots space because inevitably that's well I shouldn't say inevitably but far too often that's going to come with a uh, you know a sense of entitlement that that it's a that that destiny is a foregone conclusion and the reality is it's anything but so uh, you know players continue to evolve at different stages based on a variety of different factors fit to the system certainly being one of them. All right, Adam. Well, that was a lot of great stuff. Uh, where can people find you on social media? Yeah, you can follow me uh, Twitter or Instagram at Adam Finkelstein, F-I-N-K-E-L-S-T-E-I-N. -E and uh, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, man. Anytime. Appreciate it. And Adam had some great things to say there. The encouraging thing I heard him say is that guys pop at different times. Benny Williams could pop next season or it could be two seasons from now. Gerard could have his best season coming in. You just don't know with players, how much they work in the off season, what their opportunity is, where their head's at. All those things are factors. And as he said, look at the NBA playoffs. Look at all the guys that weren't highly recruited or highly touted guys coming out of college, but they're playing in the NBA. And you mentioned Lawrence Moten. Lawrence Moten was slow, but he's always in the right place at the right time. And Syracuse had plenty of guys like that where you didn't know anything about them coming into Syracuse, but they just fit the system and fit the way of life. Thanks for listening to the Dome Dog Podcast today. Please check us out on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Audible, Google Podcasts, and more. YouTube page, Instagram. Please join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Dome Dog Pod. That's D-O-M-E, D-A-W-G-P-O-D.